This is Strange Assembly episode 243, Games with My Kids. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or in the Google Play Music Store. You can find us at the usual social media. So we're facebook.com slash strangeassembly, instagram.com slash strangeassembly, and at strangeassembly on Twitter. We always appreciate your follows on the social media sites or your reviews on iTunes. All of those help us reach more people and help more people discover the podcast. I'm here today, no co-hosts, to talk about some games that I play with my kids and some thoughts that I have on that. I have two kids, one just turned five and one just turned eight. I, of course, really like to play games and I suspect that there are a lot of gamer parents out there who, like me, kind of get driven batty by mass market kids games in part because they're not really games right the very most basic games are just you know roll the die and see what happens and you have no control over anything even once they start introducing any kind of decision making you have games that do things like reset the entire game if you roll something weird or or you land on a space and it goes back to the beginning the sort of things that in a hobby game, you would think of as terrible mechanics. Now, there's a place for very simple games. When kids are really young, they're not really capable of making decisions. And while it may drive you the parent batty, it is, for the kid, a way of learning how to follow the rules and understanding concepts like how to read a die and how to count out how many spaces you move. But As they get older, you get to introduce them to some better games, and so I like to try to find games that they will enjoy playing, and I can enjoy playing as well. And my thoughts about what those those games are is the, the first factor that I think is really helpful in a game that you can play with your kids is a game that can be reasonably played without a long-term strategic plan, right? It may be obvious that a really heavy Euro is not something you're going to sit down and play with a seven-year-old. But really any kind of game where you have to plot your moves out, you know, two or three or four turns in advance is very difficult for a little kid. Now that doesn't mean that you can't play games where it would be beneficial to plan things out in advance. But right, there are some games where you can do better when you plan things out in advance. And there are some games where you completely fall apart if you don't carefully plan things out in advance because of you know, how the timing works or how, how you have to use this resource to generate that resource to generate the other thing. One technique that you can do to help a little bit with that, because they can have a hard time making decisions when there's lots of options, even if there isn't a lot of looking ahead, is you could also use a game where there are going to be two or three, but really preferably two, kind of clear courses of action on any given turn. And 
you then have the ability to say, well, do you want to do X or do you want to do Y? And then they can pick one and they aren't faced with 20 different options for all the different spots on the board. A second thing that I think is good to look for in something you're going to play with your kids is a game without a lot of downtime. Depending on your kid and depending on their age, they have more or less ability to sit still and pay attention for a certain period of time. But if you have a game that has 10 minute turns and you're playing with four people, no small child is going to sit still for half an hour waiting for their turn. That's just never going to happen. So less downtime, a big plus. Another thing that I think can help with kids is games with fun and flashy components. Big chunky components, colorful components. Obviously a lot of adult gamers prefer this sort of thing to moving cubes around on a board, but really heightened with kids the visual appeal of the game. A fourth factor along those lines is a game with theme that the kids like. Again, this can be true of, of grown-ups as well, but a lot of gamers, all right, you'll have some things, themes that you prefer, but if it's a good game, then you know the theme is not going to be the end of the day, especially if it's one of those you know, pasted on themes or, or however you want to put it, right? I like vampires. I don't really like zombies, but you know, if it's a good zombie game, whatever, it's not really going to matter. But with the little kids, I, I just kind of think about these terrible branded things that come out sometimes. You know, it's the Paw Patrol adventure game or it's, you know, and it can be absolute drack and they may want to play it over and over again because it's the thing that they like. So I would actually go into my next thing is to be try to pick something that you are willing to play over and over again. Right in the hobby gaming universe, we can get used to shifting from game to game to game to game and always wanting to play new things. That can be off-putting to some adults who want to play the same game over and over again and don't want to learn a new set of rules or two every single weekend. But that is a, a particularly heavy lift to ask of a lot of kids. Another factor that I have found helps my kids get involved in the game is games that tell stories. Conveniently enough for me, this is something that I like too. Inconveniently for us, it's not something that my wife is a big fan of. But the ability to intersperse little stories with what's going on in the game can be another way to keep continued interest in the kids. They, right, my kids really like it when I just read to them. So when you can combine playing the game with reading a little story in between moves or something like that is, is something that they have tended to get a kick out of. And then the final one, and this one may be a little bit obvious, but I'll toss it out there, is games that don't have too much text. At some point, kids will be old enough that they can readily read things very easily and it ceases to be an impediment. But for a long while, even once they can read, it can take them a while to read. And if you have a card in the game that has just seven lines of microtext on it, 
that becomes a big impediment to them enjoying the game because it may take them three minutes just to read the card, much less figuring out what the card does because those lots of lines of text are often you know, indicative of complex or conditional or situational effects. So those are some general thoughts that I have. So what are the games that I have had the most repeat play with with my kids? And these are games that are honest-to-goodness real hobby games. Obviously, I have played more basic kids' games with my kids a lot. You know, I mean, we've, we've played Animal Upon Animal quite a bit. We have, in fact, played the Roll the Die and Move Your Piece Around the, the Board, the number that the die says sort of games. But these are actual adult hobby games, and they're ones that I enjoy playing. And these are ones that I've played repeatedly with my kids. Note that when I say my kids, I am mostly talking about the eight-year-old. When there's something about the five-year-old, I'll add that in, but that is a just-turned-five, so there's not a lot of play there for the hobby games yet, even the most basic ones. But I will start off with one that both of my kids can play, and the one that we have collectively probably played more than anything else, and that's the DC Comics deck-building game. This hits a number of those factors I already talked about. First of all, it's a theme that they both like. The older one really likes superheroes, but the younger one likes superheroes too. And so they like the superheroes. They recognize at least some of the characters, right? Because I do occasionally let them watch television. So it, even though it's obviously a, a different style and a place, you know, if they, we watch DC Superhero Girls, well, some of those characters then appear in the DC Comics deck building game. Actually, I think all of them appear at this point. I do occasionally have to explain why it's Killer Frost instead of Frost, who's friends with Supergirl and, and Wonder Woman and all that, but whatever. And deck building games hit a number of things with this. First, with Almost all deck building games on a very basic level, it is look at your hand and play it. And then you maybe buy a card or two. So you don't have a lot of downtime between turns. It's, it's right, play your cards and get done. You don't have a lot of complex decision making right within that turn. Ultimately, it usually comes down to what one card do you want to buy? Or, okay, maybe you can split it up. And sometimes their decisions are not optimal because they're not looking ahead, and sometimes their decisions are not optimal because they just like a particular card more. But I am happy to say that my five-year-old is always very excited about destroying the bad cards in the deck. So we will then end up fighting for the cards because I really, really like to do that too when I'm playing deck-building games. There also are a lot of deck building games that can be text light. You know, the DC Comics deck building game obviously has cards that do have a decent amount of text on them, but it also has a lot of cards, including everything in your starting deck, where the text is plus one power, plus two power. Well, now even the five year old can sit down and play out a punch and count one and play out another punch and count two and then play out a kick and go four and so there's some nice basic math in there there's not a lot of reading we all get to play that's really good so again the probably the single most 
played game that we have is the DZ Comics deck building game. If your kids have played one deck building game and liked it, there is a relatively easy transferability into other deck building games because a lot of them have a very similar structure. You have some cards available, you play cards, it adds resources, you buy cards to your discard pile, everything goes to your discard pile, draw a new hand. There's a, a relative amount of transferability you know, to something like Dominion or Star Realms. But because theme matters, the other deck building game that has gotten the most play in my household with my kids is Marvel Legendary. The older one prefers Marvel Legendary, but Marvel Legendary is too complicated for the younger one right now in no small part because it has the two different resources and you have to keep track of what's going on with the master strikes and the schemes and all that. And even though I'm the one doing that part of the automation of the game, it's a lot more complicated to think about just the fact that you have to add up two different resources. Not that big a deal for us, a pretty big deal for a five-year-old. The one drawback that we do tend to run across with Marvel Legendary is the way that the base set had the same art for all the cards. And so it, it emphasizes how important art can be in card games for remembering what the cards are. That's one of the reasons why it's not the end of the world if the kids can't read or can't read well yet. If there's not that much text is if you can explain to them what the card does, they can remember the card and then remember what it does when it comes back up again. That does not work if you're playing with the base set cards for Marvel Legendary because all of the Spider-Mans have the same picture. All of the Iron Mans have the same picture. So that's another drawback until they get to the point where they can at least kind of read the text. But again, Marvel Legendary, massive fun, at least with the, the older of the two kids, with the one who is, is now eight. The third game I wanted to mention today is X-Wing, I guess with the secondary on Armada. So X-Wing really hits a lot of points for this. One, you get theme. It's, right, it's the same theme as it is for us, Star Wars. Hey, right? We like it because it's Star Wars. We like it because it's got really cool miniatures that are fun to just look at uh, and mess around with. And hey, that's true of kids as well. It doesn't have a lot of downtime because everything goes one at a time, right? If, if this was a game where one player took all of their moves and then the other player took all of their moves, that would cause problems. But it's not. Everybody simultaneously sets up their maneuver dials and then ship by ship, you know, everybody moves, everybody shoots. And again, that's one ship at a time. So not a lot of downtime. Now we do simplify X-Wing for the kids. Too many of the actions is kind of too much bombs when we tried to add bombs in that didn't work out very well but you can play sort of a simplified version of x-wing and as the kids get older you can adjust to the full rules more armada has a lot of the upside of x-wing but there is extra unavoidable complexity in there just the fact that you have to plan out the command dials on the ships makes it notably harder because, right, again, you don't want to make them plan out multiple turns in a row and you're forced to do that. That's not necessarily the end of the world. And if you wanted, you could fudge that and just say, okay, well, 
You you just go ahead and every turn pick for the ships and then not worry about that rat. Or I mean, right, you're playing against a small child. If you need a tactical advantage, this is there's probably deeper problems going on. But that's the third game that has been played the most with me and my kids, X-Wing. And then, again, to a lesser extent, Armada. A fourth game, which is then completely different from those on the thematic front, is Agricola All Creatures Big and Small. Now, base Agricola, way too complicated to play with little kids. But Agricola All Creatures Big and Small is about your little farm board and you're building fences and you're putting the little animals in there. And so it's got the adorable animeeples. You definitely want the version with the animeeples. If you buy anything remotely new, it's going to have that. But again, little cubes to represent sheep, not nearly as good as having little sheep pieces. It is something that, that honestly does benefit from longer term planning. It's probably the game on this list that most matters for long term planning. And this is definitely one where I often have to sit there and be like, okay, you know, this course of action could make sense. This course of action could make sense. Which one do you want to try? And it, it is not a game that the kid ever does well at. But it is still a game where they can continue to do what they want and they can continue to get more and more animals. And so as long as they are still having fun and are still able to do their thing, in my experience at least, it's not a huge deal if they're, in some objective sense, not playing very well. The problems come up when they're really unable to play, when the things that they want to do just aren't possible or just get completely foreclosed because of something they did three turns ago. But with Agricola, all creatures big and small, that does not really seem to happen. You know, there's always animals out there to take. You just you just have to make sure that they've bought some fences in advance. The fifth game that I'd want to point out is actually Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I love Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Now, it right, it is a horror theme, so maybe some people would not want to play that with their their kids. Honestly, I don't think they really get it. But this is one of those games where the kids seem to really like the story aspect of it, right? There's this little bit of story that goes along with it. There's the little text to read every time that you're taking an attack or you're making a check. They do enjoy trying to get pieces out. That's kind of more a bug than a feature because they're pretty bad at looking through stacks of tiles to find the right one, so they want to do it, but it takes them forever. So I don't know how much you want to encourage that, but hey, you know, you can. It's got the nifty little miniatures to put out. And if they like having a character, right, this lets them pick their own character. It lets them do different characters if they feel like doing different characters. I have one who likes to do that. I have another one who always likes to be the exact same thing, right? And that's the younger one, again, in part, because it's easier to just have the same character with the same ability. Indeed, sometimes, we're mostly past it, but we've sometimes had arguments in some of these games because I will allow the younger child to always play the exact same character, 
Whereas with the older one, I try, I'm at the point where I try to do, okay, let's play with different characters so we can have a more variable experience to help keep daddy's interest, right? <laughs> but Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition does really well with that. You can just take the app and save because those scenarios are often too long to really play at once with the kids, but that's okay. You can come back up and do it. It is a cooperative game, and that can also be helpful, right? Everybody's winning or losing as a team. One of the other upsides of cooperative games is that usually the alpha player problem is really, really just an active problem. It's only really a problem when you're playing with little kids if you try to make it a problem, because even for competitive games, you're often making suggestions along the way. So with a cooperative game, you don't have any, you know, conflict of interest or whatever when you're making that, you know, to make sure that you're, you know, do you have some subconscious bug in the back of your head if that's a concern, right? With a cooperative game, you can stand back and let, let them make decisions as appropriate. You can say, hey, you really, really need to do this or else you're going to be miserable because your character's going to get messed up. Or you can do as I talked about before and say, well, here's two options that would make sense. You could move over here and do that, or you could move over here and do this. Which one of those do you want to do? And then let them make that narrower decision. That all works well with Mansions of Madness, second edition. The final game I wanted to mention is Go Nuts for Donuts. This is probably the most straightforward game of the ones that I've talked about on this episode, even more so than the DC deck building game. And like the DC deck building game, it is one that we can readily play with both the 8-year-old and the 5-year-old. A little bit of a different twist for me, but this is another game where theme matters. Why? Because my younger kid gets really excited by desserts. Donuts, ice cream, whatever. If the game has some sort of sweet treat in it, this makes the five-year-old more interested in the game. On each turn, Go Nuts for Donuts presents a nice, individual, straightforward decision. There is long-term planning only in that if they get a card that rewards you for having a lot of other cards or rewards you for having very few cards. They have to keep that in mind, but that's usually pretty straightforward. It's got colorful cards. The game doesn't take long. Everybody is choosing their card at the same time. Although, honestly, probably the to the extent that we have any issues with this game, it will be if one child nonetheless manages to you know, hit analysis paralysis and not have to decide. You have to be like, okay, you know, you have to make a decision. Go, go, go. So I'm not going to say that that never comes up, but this one has been a, a a big repeat player for us. And because both of the kids can play it, it is the one after the DC deck building game that has gotten the most play. So, that is my thoughts right now on playing games with my kids. General thoughts, specific games. Uh, again, general thoughts, games that you can play without without really needing a long-term strategic plan. Games without a lot of downtime. Games with fun components. 
games with a theme that the kids like. And of course, what your kids like may not be the same stuff as what my kids like, but go and find something that has a theme that your kids like. Games that tell stories and games that don't have too much text. For me, the games that we've played the most are the DC Comics deck building game and Marvel Legendary. Go Nuts for Donuts. X-Wing and to a lesser extent Armada. Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small. And then when we we get the chance, uh, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, which always makes me very happy. Now, I always do close out my episodes near near the end in the credit roll by saying, hey, I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I'd always love to hear from you. But in this one in particular, I really do would like to hear from you guys out there. For those of you who have kids, what have you played with your kids? What have you found works or doesn't work? Because, right, I'm talking about my experience with my kids, but I may not have thought to try everything in the world. And my kids aren't the same as your kids. You know, I'm I'm going from my narrow perspective. So if you listen to this, if you want to come on the website and post a comment, if you want to email me with a comment, and then maybe we can do a follow-up later, hit us up on our Facebook page or Twitter or something, whatever your preferred thing is. All of these episodes get posted up there with a little announcement, uh, and that's always a chance to to interact, and I'd Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys about this one. But until then, you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there in iTunes and the Apple Podcast app in the Google Play Music Store. If you do subscribe to the podcast through one of those latter sources we'd always love it if you could leave us a rating or review in itunes because that is something that helps other people discover the podcast we are on all of the usual social media we are facebook.com slash strange assembly we are at strange assembly on twitter and we're strange assembly on instagram if you really like the podcast and the website You can also help support us on Patreon. We're Strange Assembly on Patreon. uh, And your support there helps us defray the cost of the website hosting and equipment and the travel budget that lets us go to things like Gen Con and PAX Unplugged. And as I mentioned just a little bit ago, I am Chris at strangeassembly.com. And I'd love to hear from you about this episode or any other episode you're feedback, comments, criticism, anything we can do to make the show better going forward for you. Until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.